The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pa de Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 14 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So, put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Here we are again. It must be Friday. <laughs> Hello, dear listeners, and thank you for returning this week for part two of this fantastic crossover collaboration episode with Dr. Melissa Clapper from Pirouettes from the Past. If you missed what happened last week, don't fret. Check out part one of our Ballet Techniques Uncovered podcast, where I saw perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on training in Chiquetti, Royal Academy of Dance, French and Cuban techniques from experts and educators across the world. Additionally, on Dr. Clapper's crossover episode, she discussed the history behind some of these techniques discussed in our podcasts. So, head on over to Pirouettes from the Past on the Premier Dance Network and check that out. You can find that at premierdancenetwork.com. This week, I will be summing up this extensive conversation by discussing Vaganova, Balanchine, and Cuban training methods. Again, I am so grateful to the wonderful queue of friends, experts, and educators that have helped me out with vital information for today's episode. Before we get to the meat of this episode, I'd like to remind you first that I am teaching a seven-week series at Broadway Dance Center every Friday at 6 p.m. It is an advanced beginner ballet class, which, depending on the crowd, can swing closer to intermediate. But if you would like to meet me and get some Vaganova structure and some balancing movement, please feel free to join me. And of course, be sure to tell me that you are a listener because I always love to meet you guys. Also, in quick fun news, I found out recently that I am choreographing at Columbia University for Columbia Ballet Collaborative's 10th anniversary show in April. I get to cast my work on Sunday, uh, which is very exciting. I've got some really great ideas. Um, and yeah, the performance is in April, and if you'd like to get some details uh, to come and see the performance, uh, send me a, vest- a message a message. Send me a message via my contact page on my website. Uh, for those of you that this is your first visit here, that is www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrycorollis.com. Lastly, in fantastic pod chat news, if you listened in to part one of this Ballet Techniques Uncovered episode, Alex Pandisho from Houston Ballet Academy and Uptown Dance Center uh, in Texas shared his expertise on Bourneville Technique. I'm super excited and actually quite proud to say that taking part in this podcast helped inspire Alex to begin his own Bourneville-based summer intensive right here in the U.S. of A. This honestly was not planned until after I interviewed Alex about Bourneville technique. 
He's really great at what he does, and he is one of the most knowledgeable people I know in the United States uh, on Bourneville techniques. So, from July 17th to 29th in Houston, Texas, Alex will be premiering his very first intensive that focuses specifically on Bourneville training. This is a rare and unique opportunity on this side of the pond. So, if you want more information on that, you can reach out to me on the website that I just listed as well, and I will be sure to put you in contact with Mr. Pandicio. Good stuff. Pot of Chat and the Premier Dance Network being inspired by our guests, and at the same time inspiring them to contribute even more to our awesome dance world. Alrighty, as we begin, please let me remind you that some of these people have asked me not to call them experts, so here's my disclaimer that those opinions shared in this episode are not necessarily a direct statement from these official training techniques. All of those who have shared information with me have either trained extensively in these techniques, have gone through extensive certification programs in these techniques, or have been educating dancers for years in these styles. So, with that said, let's get this episode rolling. Alright, so, this week, again, uh, we are discussing Vaganova Balanchine and Cuban training. So, first up, in this second part of Ballet Techniques Uncovered is perhaps the most popular methodology of training students to become ballet dancers in the world. I don't know why, but the Russians just really know how to do it. Whether it's their slow, methodical approach or their die-hard, no-errors-allowed mentality, Vaganova knows how to give dancers a foundation of technique that can be used to create any type of dancer. I think if you talk to most dancers in the United States that at some point in their training, they had pretty pretty solid uh, Vaganova training. I was raised learning Vaganova and eventually joined one of the strictest Vaganova schools in the country, the Kirov Academy of Ballet in Washington, D.C. While there, I had the opportunity to take some classes from one of today's experts, Jacqueline Ahmedova. During my time at KAB, as we called it, <laughs> Madam, I couldn't help myself, we called all of our teachers Madam, uh, that were female. Madam Ahmedova, she taught the intermediate advanced level girls in the school. Today, she is artistic director of the Ahmedova Ballet Academy in Silver Springs, Maryland. Jacqueline holds a master's degree in pedagogy with the title of professor of choreographer, or sorry, choreography, ballet master, and coach, which she received from the Ukrainian Academy of Dance after five years of study. That is really putting some time into your education to educate. That's impressive. Before that, she trained, or sorry, she graduated with honors from the Uzbek Academy of Dance, and she danced as a soloist with the Bolshoi Theater in Tashkent, the Munich State Ballet, and the Vienna State Ballet. She had a career as a dancer for 20 years and has also taught for over 20 years in the Vaganova system. I had so many people that I could have spoken to about Vaganova that I couldn't just limit myself to one. So I actually have two guests that are going to be speaking to Vaganova methodology today. Uh, Our second guest is uh, the current principal of the Ballet West Academy in Salt Lake City, Utah. Her name is Nadia 
Pavlenko, and she graduated from the Vaganova Ballet Academy in 1989. And she was in the class of Professor Irina Alexandrovna Trofimova, Vaganova's pupil. Wow, that is practically as close as you can get to Vaganova today. That is fantastic. So, Nadia continued her education at the Rimsky-Korsakov St. Petersburg State Conservatory, which is actually <laughs> Balanchine's alma mater, which I love that uh, we're going to be talking about Vaganova, and we have this direct relationship relationship, relationship to Balanchine, and then we are going to be speaking immediately afterwards about Balanchine. Uh, very, very interesting. Okay, so... Nadia has been teaching for over 17 years, and she has also been recognized by Youth America Grand Prix with an Outstanding Teacher Award. So, we've got two lovely ladies with some fantastic information to share with you on this famous methodology of training students in ballet. So, let's start talking about Vaganova. So, I'm going to do the same thing that I did last week. I don't, I'm going to say some of the answers that I got, and I'm going to just go from here. So, the first thing that I asked these ladies was what the structure of Vaganova training was. So, Jacqueline, really, she broke down some, some of this information for me very extensively, and I want to make sure that you get to hear as much of it as possible. So, she mentioned that the Vaganova training typically has eight levels, uh, but it can also be done in six levels, as students are often starting to get serious when they're about 12 years old. At the Kirov Academy of Ballet, I don't know if it's different now, but when I was training there, they had six levels. But I believe at the Vaganova Academy, uh, there are eight, but I'll get to that in a second. Typically, uh, after those six years, uh, students can do one or two more years of mastering the artistry and stage and their stage technique. Here are a couple things that, that Jacqueline said that distinguish the levels of Vaganova training. This is great. This is a really good breakdown. The first year of training, it, it's really learning the elementary exercises for the, the mastery of the basic stance of the body and the positions of the feet, arms, and the head. Also, uh, it's this first year is really used to work on developing coordination of the body. The second year of training it is uh, a repetition of the exercises that were learned during the first year, but they are done in greater quantity and also they up the speed a little bit. There's, there's faster speed of those exercises. The development of strengthening the foot and the instep uh, by starting exercises is uh, put into this, this year's training and the demi point and point are added. The third year of training, uh, this is the beginning study of center exercises on demi-point and the elementary study of movements on tournas. So that means that once they get to center, they start to add releve, and they also begin doing exercises that involve rotation. So maybe pirouettes. Don't hold me to this, but I'm just, uh, I am translating here. I, I'm assuming it's pirouettes um, and chenet turns and, and different things that, that rotate, maybe even promenades. The fourth year of training, the strengthening of stability in various turning movements and demi-point and point are the focus. Also, the development of the plasticity of the arms and the torso begin. So, I'm assuming there's more flow to the arms and perhaps you add a little bit more movement of the upper body so that it starts to bend a bit more with the, the leg movement. I, I do remember from my my Vaganova training when I was at the Kirov that there was a lot of uh, epaulement that was used. That's the upper body and the, the arms and the head. There's a lot of 
Apol Mall used in our training. It was drilled into us to the point where <laughs> still today I, I use Apol Mall in a lot of my dancing, even though I eventually became balancing trained. Um, okay, the fifth year of training. This is where there is now a mastery of beats and tours, so there's uh, some more focus on, I guess, the battery of the feet. Uh, Jacqueline says that this is also the beginning of developing elevation and big jumps. So yeah, it seems that now they really start to develop all of the technique from the ground up into the air. The sixth year of training, this is where there's a lot of study of, of jumps from various preparatory movements, and there is also development of ballon in the big jumps. That's the lift. So there, there's even more continuation. I'm assuming that it still has a lot of that that of those exercises at bar um, and then coming to center, but really it's we're just adding. So don't think that we've lost the things that we've done the years before. We're just continuing to grow on top of that. Going into the seventh year of training, there is great work on the perfection and the polishing of the entire program of Vaganova training. This includes the mastery of all of the basic movements of classical ballet. All right, now now we got on to we get to go on to the eighth year of training, and this is again further perfection of the movements and polishing of those movements for the stage. This is where development of performing artistry and virtuosity really takes place. So uh, I think that the best way that I can interpret interpret this is that you really focus on just technique those first few years. It doesn't seem like there is as much focus. Uh, like here in the United States, you see kids performing uh, classical ballet variations on point at the age of 10 and 11 and 12. And uh, I don't know how I necessarily feel about that. Um, I actually saw a video the other day on, on Facebook. I think it was the so bailarinos uh, Facebook page and there was an eight-year-old doing the Cupid, vari Cupid variation from Don Quixote on point which is quite dangerous so it seems that here in Vaganova training they really it's very structured and you don't really focus so much on uh, the full aspect of performing uh, while you're dancing until you reach the latter years of your training some really great information that uh, Jacqueline offered us. So, I want to make sure that we also get to hear what uh, Nadia had to say. So, adding to this wealth of information, it seems that our experts are in alignment in this discussion. As I spoke last week on French Paris and Paris Opera Ballet training, it was interesting to see the similarities and differences of experiences from two dancers turned teachers who focused on sharing the French methodology of training. So here, Nadia shares about her experience at the Vaganova Academy in St. Petersburg. Just like Jacqueline stated, it has eight years of training. The first grade, you must be 10 years old, the second, 11, and so on. The level's differences are speed, with the first three years being very, very, very slow and then gradually getting faster, which I <laughs> I can tell you, even by the time that I was in my final year training at the Kirov, we still moved slower than a lot of different training styles. So I can only imagine that these first three years are tediously, tediously slow. Nadia also says that uh, port de bras the upper body movement, it, it goes from very simple in those first few years to extremely complicated as you move up in those levels. 
She says that every step in, Vagan- in the Vaganova system develops very gradually during eight, the eight years that a, a dancer is training in this methodology. Very cool. It's very interesting to me. I, I, I've trained in Vaganova, but there weren't a lot of people talking about it. You just sort of got it through, uh, what's the word, osmosis, as, as you learned. Um, it's, it's fun for me to read this and share it with you as we break it down. So let's move forward. What, what are the focuses of Vaganova techniques? So first off, we'll start with Jacqueline again. She says expressiveness of the upper body and arms, strength, flexibility, and endurance for ballet. The system is considered to be very clean with clean lines yet softness underneath. Even though Vaganova trained dancers are very strong and clean, they will be soft and perform well on stage without robotic stiffness. And that actually, I'm glad that she she mentioned that because uh, I have heard a lot of people say that Vaganova dancers are, are stiffer than than other dancers. And it, it seems that if a dancer is properly prepared in, in their training of Vaganova, that the hope is to have fluidity in their body. Jacqueline also said that a dancer's arm should not be decorative, but should help the dancer in high jumps and turns. She mentioned if you want to get a good example of this, that you should look for dancers like Boryshnikov, uh, Svetlana Zakharova, and uh, Diana Vishneva. So if you want to get a, a glimpse of that, perhaps YouTube those Russian ballet stars. Uh, furthermore, Apol Mall, proper placement of the entire body and clean positions are extremely important to Vaganova training, and the system emphasizes deep plies, as this is the best way to achieve high jumps, and also helps in aiding to prevent injury. It also keeps dancers healthy and dancing longer. I say that all the time in class. When I see dancers that don't use their plie or even at the end of a bar combination that don't plie, I tell people, this is your career extender. So, I mean, that really, <laughs> that stuck with me from my Vaganova training. I agree. All right, Nadia, she mentioned that proper, uh, that there's a proper, strong, and very pulled up torso in Vaganova training. And there is also uh, an emphasis of perfect turnout from the hips down to the feet. Not from the feet to the hips, but the hips to the feet. <laughs> she mentions that beautiful port is used with an emphasis on élanger, uh, which I actually remember being one of the most important things we worked on during my time training at the Kirov Academy of Ballet. Élanger, uh, it's the elongation of the arm. So think if your arm is in second position, and then it élanges to that long stretched arm where the elbow is stretched. That's your élanger. Finally, performing skills. Uh, that's another big emphasis in, in Vaganova training. Um, and it seems to me, again, as I remember from my time training in this strict style of dance, that performance is the final stage of training. But it holds a great deal of importance in actually mastering this style of dance. Next up, I ask each of these educators how they got involved in sharing the joys of the Ganova technique. And Jacqueline said that she was originally trained in the Chiketti method because she was not raised in Russia. She was raised in her hometown of Munich. She says that she always admired the Russian dancers who came to perform in Munich. She saw Maximova, Pavlova, and Plisetskaya, and many more when she was young, and she recognized the difference in style and execution of the, of the movement, and she admired that greatly. 
She also wanted to train like that. So after receiving a scholarship as the first West German dance student to the Soviet Union, she decided to leave Germany and take up that opportunity. This was back in 1977 under uh, Brezhnev. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, assuming that that's the director. And she eventually went on to have a very successful 20 years. Um, and she really wanted to pass... 20, uh, sorry, let's go back for a second. She had a very successful 20 years uh, performance uh, in a performance career. Um, and she wanted to pass on her knowledge of the Vaganova method of training to future generations. So that's how she got into it. And as for Miss Pavlenko, <laughs> I always love hearing stories of Russians getting into the Vaganov Academy. She says that she got accepted into the Academy uh, after three rounds of selection. She said there were over 200 kids in one place and very few get accepted. She went through their entire program and studied there for eight full years. Wow. So... When I asked them why they continue to use this methodology beyond their dancing years, Jacqueline says that she sees big results since she has started to teach in the Vaganova method. All of her graduates are professional dancers with professional ballet companies in the U.S. and abroad. She also mentions that her students have a strong knowledge of the technique and its artistry, which enables them to dance anything from Balanchine to Forsyth and Martha Graham and the classics. Nadia, she keeps on using the Vaganova syllabus because she says that it is the best, and this is capital B-E-S-T, <laughs> ballet foundations for young dancers' bodies. And she, she mentions young dancers specifically as the age of 9 to 14. And I am in complete agreement with Nadia on this. Whenever I see a, a young dancer that has had Vaganova training, there's just something about the way that their legs shape and the way that they use their upper body that uh, can really use to be a, a bouncing off point for so many other techniques. I personally, um, I'm going to get a little sidetracked here because we're going to talk about balancing in a second, but a lot of people feel that balancing training is... Uh, they're not really sure where it fits into a young dancer's training. And I feel that it's really positive for dancers to get strong Vaganova training. And if they want to dance in the balancing style, to go to a school like School of American Ballet. Um, because once you get there, the movement, it, it, they speed it up. It gets faster and faster and faster. Um, and I think that you have to have that strong structure in order to be able to do that, that kind of fast movement. Um, okay, let's get back on track. So I asked these ladies if they knew any major schools that train their students in Vaganova. Uh, and this is either nationally or internationally. And Jacqueline says that the best schools teaching the Vaganova system are still in Russia. She mentions the Vaganova School in St. Petersburg, the Bolshoi School in Moscow, the Perm School in Perm, as that's also in Russia, and many others. Uh, many private and state schools in Europe teach the Vaganova system as well. South Korea has many Russian teachers too, and they teach the Vaganova method. So, <laughs> do Japan and China, we got all over the world, this is very popular. And in the US there are schools that teach the Vaganova system, but most of them are smaller schools. Now, when I asked Nadia, she actually had a very different answer for this. She said the real true Vaganova method is taught only in the Vaganova Academy in St. Petersburg, Russia. And I assume that her belief here is that this is the school that created and codified the technique. Therefore, it is the only true original. 
I'm curious to hear what other educators' thoughts are on this, if this is widely considered to be true or if educators feel that you can gain the same quality training outside of the school. I will say myself that I have rarely seen dancers turn out so well, and so many of them other than what I've seen in videos from the actual Vaganova Academy. Uh, they know how to build dancers from start to finish. There are many schools across the country where you see a handful of, or many young dancers and only a very, very small handful make it through the entire school and get into the company. But this training academy, it truly, truly creates dancers and sends all of their dancers into their school, or sorry, into their company. So, just to end this Vaganova section, just like last week, I asked both of these ladies if there was anything else that they think we should know about Vaganova training. And here's what they said. Jacqueline said Vaganova insisted that her students do everything consciously, trained them to analyze other executions, to find mistakes in themselves and in their classmates. And she definitely tries to instill this in her students every day. I agree with that too. I always tell people, don't wait for me to point out your mistakes. You should be looking for them, fixing them so that I can find the ones that you're not aware of. <laughs> Uh, Jacqueline believes that the method, when properly taught, gives meaning to dance and all, in all of its harmony. Strict discipline in the lessons and the knowledge of how steps should be executed is crucial. Every step should have meaning and should be expressed throughout the body. That is what we aim for on stage and what the audience loves. And then for Nadia... And this answer here is fantastic because I tell my students all the time that I make difficult, sometimes impossible exer exercises like endless adagio, exhausting releves, and insane speed. Not to laugh at their attempts that they do at, that fail, but to give them tools to work through the most difficult roles on stage. So, what Nadia said was that the Vaganov method is very, very difficult, but it is worth every second of torture. I love the way that she stated this. <laughs> Again, like the French method, and unlike the Chiquetian RAD method that I discussed last week, not everyone can do it. That is why there are three rounds to get accepted into the, the Vaganova school. The Russians are famous for measuring their potential students' limbs and testing their flexibility before considering them. Ugh. I feel like I just had a piece of deliciously rich ballet cake. These two fabulous Vaganova educators really outdid themselves in providing us with information on the Vaganova methodology of teaching. Thank you guys a million times for sharing your insights with me and for all of our listeners here on Pada Chat Talking Dance. Lovely. Okay, now we're going to move on to somebody who came out of the Russian method, Balanchine. I feel that I could easily speak to those dancers who were trained in the balancing technique or methodology or technique, <laughs> or let's argue about this for a little while, because that's <laughs> I hear people arguing about this all the time. Yes, the balancing style of ballet training is a hugely controversial thing over here in the United States. Balanchine never actually codified a technique. Instead, he was said to have adapted his classes to the particular repertoire that his dancers were performing at the time. If you look at some of his first picks for teachers at the School of American Ballet, it appears that his dancers were initially trained more in the framework of Vaganova training, which makes sense considering his Russian background and the timing of his move to the United States. 
anyway, I talk on here all the time and I share my insights on the matter, on, on different matters. So I decided instead to let my friend Andrew Scordato offer his thoughts and knowledge on all things balance sheet. Andrew is a young educator who is doing some amazing things. He is currently a dancer at New York City Ballet and works his tireless booty off during his non-performance and rehearsal hours, passing on his craft as a faculty member at the School of American Ballet. That is the feeder school for the New York City Ballet. So let's hear what Andrew has to share. Okay, so he has one question that I didn't ask anybody else. I asked him if he feels that balancing training is a technique or a methodology. And Andrew said that he thinks it is both. Since he had the idea to make, or he being balancing, had the idea to make his dancers move farther and faster, have longer lines, and in general have a more expansive style, he had to come up with some technical choices and new ways to do certain steps to get his dancers there. So maybe balancing wasn't sitting around writing down a technique so that he could teach young students how to dance the way that he wanted them to. But it, it seems that what Andrew is saying here is that uh, he was constantly reevaluating how he wanted his dancers to, to train themselves and to, to perform certain things, which would be technical. Those are his technical choices. So, um, what's been happening over the years, this is me talking now, um, but what, what's been happening over the years is his former dancers have been looking at his his approaches to training his, his company and they have been taking things that he used regularly in class and, and moving that into technique. I think Suki Shore has a book out. She's a, one of the faculty members at the School of American Ballet. Um, I think she put a book out a while ago, but I also read recently that something else is brewing with balancing technique. So uh, maybe keep an eye out in the news, in the dance news, <laughs> um, and see what's happening there. All right, so I asked Andrew what the structure of balancing training is, and he mentioned that the structure of their training is broken down into levels. There are 11 levels for girls and six for, for boys at the School of American Ballet. And he said that the boys tend to spend more time in each level, more or less. That's why there aren't as many levels for the, for the guys as there are for the, the ladies. He mentions that the children work through a syllabus for many years, which progresses in order to allow them to learn new steps and material every year. All right, next, what are the focuses and emphasis of balancing training? Andrew states that the major focuses of balancing training are port de bras and an exaggerated epaulement. I love that exaggerated epaulement. Uh, I the first time that I, I went from Vaganova training to balancing training, and I was shown that port de, that that epaulement. I was the thought was crazy. I didn't it didn't make any sense to me. Um, but then, if you <laughs> if you take your phone and you turn on the flashlight and you turn off all the lights. If you turn your head and then you lift your cheek up to the flashlight, you will see how that exaggerated epaulement is very effective for when you are on the stage with lights that are above and diagonal, the spotlights. So, sorry, I got sidetracked. Okay, back to Andrew. <laughs> he says the major focus is, again, let's go back, port de bras and exaggerated epaulement. Also, there is an emphasis of having a straight back leg in fourth position before pirouette. And especially there's emphasis on the timing and speed of movement. And Andrew says that it should be very quick and very sharp. Specifically, uh, back with the port de bras and the hands, 
Andrew says that Balanchine wanted all the fingers seen and the arms to look held and energetic. It looks very, very different from other styles, and I do agree with that. There, there's definitely something very free and lots of movement about the energy that comes from a Balanchine trained dancer. Andrew, this is how he got involved in Balanchine training. He, he has had some great exposure uh, to, to this style, this methodology, this training technique, whatever you wish to call it, uh, when he was studying at the Rock School in Philadelphia. And while he was there, there were a handful of former New York City ballet dancers that would teach there. And uh, that training eventually actually brought Andrew to New York City to attend the School of American Ballet, where shh, we were roommates. <laughs> <laughs> there, Andrew received great training from many great dancers who were currently in New York City Ballet or had formerly danced with the company. Since becoming faculty at SAB, Andrew said that he absolutely uses his methodology every day when he teaches, and he really, really loves it. I asked if there were any major schools that train students in, in Balanchine uh, beyond the School of American Ballet. And Andrew said that he doesn't really know for sure that any school specifically claims to be a Balanchine school. But there are lots of former New York City ballet dancers sprinkled around the country and the world. And he, he assumes that for the most part that they stick to what they know best. So uh, while there isn't any other Balanchine school specifically in the country, there are many people that are passing on the ideals that they learned when they were at the School of American Ballet or in New York City Ballet. Uh, kind of like me, I spent a year at the School of American Ballet and then I danced at Pacific Northwest Ballet where Peter Bull, who uh, was technically hired, I believe, by Balanchine right before he passed, like right before he passed, days. Um, and uh, but yeah, Peter Bull, he trained me at the School of American Ballet and then took over Pacific Northwest Ballet. And uh, he's, he's a balancing dancer and we took classes in that style. So now when I teach, there's, there's a heavy, yes, there's a heavy Vaganova uh, influence, but there's also a lot of balancing influences in there. So I, I think that what Andrew said there is quite true. It at least works for me. So... All right. I asked Andrew if there was anything else that he feels that we should know about Balanchine training, and I'm going to read his response directly. He said, given the chance to answer that question and the answer heard by people who don't know SAB very well or have ideas about it, he would love to say something about the Balanchine hand. It seems to have a reputation of being a claw. <laughs> I remember hearing that all the time when I was training until I got to the School of American Ballet. Um, and Andrew says that when he sees it emulated by what's being heard, it gets a little bit of a bad reputation. Yes, the fingers are all spread apart and visible when you hold your hand, but there shouldn't be tension in your fingers. The point is that they are ready to move and change shape with your port bra very interesting. I think that's a good point that he brought that up because really whenever you talk to a dancer that hasn't been trained in balancing but you mention balancing, it's pretty much the first thing that they do. They spread their fingers with tons of tension and they look like massive claws just ready to, to scratch. <laughs> so thank you for clearing that up, Andrew, and thank you again for helping share information about this wonderful methodology technique, whatever you wish to call it. All right, we are right, what's that saying? Almost at home plate. 
you can see the the finish line we're almost there people you're so close we are on our final training technique that will be discussed in this ballet techniques uncovered podcast on pod the chat talking dance we are officially going to talk about cuban training the final style of ballet training that i almost forgot to add to this list and i'm glad i didn't forget is the one that is found on that caribbean island in cuba <laughs> Cuban training. I'm so happy to have such a wide network of friends with impressive credits and knowledge from their own training experiences. When I needed to quickly find an expert on Cuban training, I reached out to my friend and former colleague, Corel Cruz. Corel is a longtime principal with Pacific Northwest Ballet that was raised through the Cuban system of training. Just like his peers, Corel has an amazing ability to turn, and he can execute phenomenal tricks even at the tall, tall height of, I believe he's 6'3". He might even be 6'4". He is tall. Anyway, while it has been a while since Corel has gone through the training system, and while he does love to teach, he has limited time due to his commitment at Pacific Northwest Ballet. It's a 40-week contract. He's got a lot of time that he's rehearsing and performing. Uh, even with these in mind, Corel shared as much background as he could about this training method. And this it's a famed tradition that's actually very foreign to many because of the restrictions that, uh, especially in the United States, that we've had with Cuba. Um, so I think over the next few years, as those regulations are lifted, that we'll probably find out even more. Maybe even get a few opportunities to see some, some more Cuban trained uh, dancers or educators come into the United States. All right, so what is the structure of Cuban training? There are levels. Men and women are separate from the beginning, except for character and partnering and uh, repertory classes as well. Uh, you start in pre-ballet, which is one year of prep before the first year, and you're about nine years old there. This no, oh, that, that used to happen, actually. That no longer exists. Now, the first year is at 10 years old. Uh, once you get, you progress to the years, 11, 12, 13, uh, by the time that you're 14, you're at the fifth level. And when you hit that level, there is a big test to switch schools from the elementary school to the middle school. And Carl said that this is a very hard test to pass. And many of the, the students that take this test don't. Um, on, on the island in Cuba, this only happens in Havana. Uh, the middle school program, it lasts three years, and you have to move to Havana, the capital, in order to uh, to do this training. The last year is a graduation test on stage where they decide if you will join the Ballet Nacional de Cuba in Havana uh, or another company in Camagüey called Ballet de Camagüey. I think that's spelled C-A-M-A-U-E-Y. Anyway, it's very strict with the age and the levels, and it is rare, but if somebody has a great amount of potential and needs another year in a level, they will allow them to repeat it. But for the most part, you have to pass into the next level every year, or else you might be asked to, to stop training. Alright, so the focus is an emphasis of Cuban technique. Uh, Corral tells me that they are very similar to Vaganova. Uh, that the emphasis is very similar to Vaganova. It's very square and it's it's a very strict technique. There is a high passe, lots of turns in class, and lots of balance. 
practice. Uh, there are also lots of high jumps. They expect perfect turnout, big jumps and tricks. Um, and they really focus on making sure that you're not wobbling and you're balanced and that you're very precise. Carell told me that not everybody can join the school, so really only good dancers can make it. So this goes back to a similar style of training as the Vaganova in, in, in Russia and the French at Paris Opera Ballet. So it's not like Chiquetti and R.A.D. where it's made so that any dancer can, anybody that takes a, a class can become a, a, a good dancer. This is really made for people that are, are built to be ballet dancers aesthetically, at least in our world today. Don't call the PC police on me. <laughs> uh, I asked Carell specifically about why he thinks that Cuban dancers are are great turners. Um, and he actually gave me a, I was, I was a, a, he gave me a response I didn't expect. I was expecting him to say something along the lines of training exercises that they do. But he thinks that they are, are great turners because the school only selects people that are actually good at it and that their bodies, they, they hit the right position and can just hold it. So he doesn't think it's necessarily 100% the training, but it, it's the training as well as the dancer. So, how did Carell get involved in Cuban training? When he was eight years old, his family moved to the other side of Cuba because his aunt was the director of the Ballet School Dinar del Rio. His family thought that he would join an art school for either music or ballet or modern, but Carell had the right physicality uh, for, for dance and his aunt allowed him to do it. As I said, Carell teaches sometimes when he's not performing at PNB, and I asked him if he continues to use the methodology that he learned while he was in the, the Cuban School of Training. And he said that he really tries to teach a little bit of everything, not just Cuban training. The best example he has in front of him is his career, and his career has been better because he has learned to be open to different styles. He said that it took him a while after he left that, that training system, um, and it was hard to understand that idea of being open, but his career forced him to, to open his mind to try different styles and to learn a little bit from everybody. And Carell says that because he opened up and let everything get into him, it has actually made his career all the richer. He's, he feels that the, he has a lot of different flavors to offer, and when he teaches, he tries to be open in that same way. He doesn't force dancers to turn with the back leg straight or with both bent, but he likes the idea of having the ability to change and, and being able to adapt to whatever the, the person in front of the room is asking of you. Alright, finally, I asked Carell if he knew any major schools that train their students in this Cuban methodology. And obviously the first thing that he mentioned was the Nacional Ballet de Cuba. Um, but I asked if he knew any places in the United States, any, any specific instructors. And he mentioned that in Florida, there is Magali Suarez, who uh, she runs the Art of Classical Ballet. Um, and I've heard her name many times. I used to compete with America Grand Prix in it. That name came up before. And then also, there is a, a new school in Dickinson, Texas, that is run by Lorna Feju, or Fehu, I think, if you say it correctly in, in Spanish, uh, but don't hold me to that. Um, but she has her school, the Fehu Ballet School, or Feju Ballet School, um, and she is, yeah, a former Boston Ballet principal. So, there are teachers teaching Cuban technique here in the United States. 
Wow. <laughs> I can't believe that we have made it to the end. Wow, wow, wow. I must say I am so grateful to everybody that has helped make this podcast episode possible. Let me tell you, even with their help, this has been the most extensive, time-consuming operation I've done for any media platform. And with all the teaching, choreographing, traveling, and opportunities that I've had since the new year, I don't think I could have created this invaluable resource without their help. So a huge overwhelming thank you to everybody who made this episode of Pod to Chat possible. I hope that this resource will be helpful for many years to come. And an extra big thank you to Dr. Melissa Clapper from Pirouettes from the Past for helping inspire me to develop this two-part episode. Uh, be sure to head over to her podcast and give her episode a listen about the history of some of these techniques and leave a little bit of love for her over there as well. We made it. <laughs> so with that, I bid you adieu. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycarollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcasts or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope that you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. You can find them on premierdancenetwork.com. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolus, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I have been writing about working as a freelance artist for over four years. I also have two YouTube channels, B. Carolus, featuring my choreography and choreography. That's core-ography, featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod to Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.